Yeah, they're coming to an understanding Even if it takes a while She's liberal, he's conservative But they're best friends You know they'll figure it out in the end Now hear me out Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Now Hear Me Out My name is Harriet Berholtz and I'm here with my dad Randy Berholtz. And we are so excited to bring you another amazing guest this week, Corey Briggs, who is running for San Diego City Attorney. He has a super interesting history, and I will let him tell him tell more about that in his own words. But a little bit about Corey. He was born and raised in Ontario, California, not Canada. A lot of people make that mistake. Uh, his father, Dale, was a school teacher and co-owner of City Rentals, which I dug into because I was a bit curious, and I saw it described as an icon in the city of Ontario with a very rich history. Corey's mom, Judy, was a licensed clinical social worker as well, which is always a difficult job. I feel like vastly <laughs> undervalued in, in society. Um, Briggs attended Chafee High School in Ontario, California, and then Chafee Community College, where he graduated with an associate's degree in accounting. He also attended UC Riverside, where he graduated in 1992. Great year, year I was born, with a Bachelor of Arts and a major in philosophy. Make it a sauce sound a little better. No. <laughs> His law education began at Cal Western School of Law in San Diego, right where we're doing. My dad actually also taught at one of the competitors, Thomas Jefferson School of Law, for, for quite some time, uh, where he earned his JD in 1995, the same year that he passed the bar exam on your first try, right? <laughs> Not a lot of lawyers can say that. Um, Corey continued his education at the Claremont Graduate School in Claremont, California, where he earned an MA in philosophy in 1997. Corey taught a number of classes, including philosophy of law and an introduction to logic and business and professional ethics at the University of Maryland. He also taught in ethics and business and the professions at George Washington University. He began practicing law in 1995, where he primarily litigated commercial and employment-related disputes at the law firm Mundell Odlum. I wasn't sure exactly how to pronounce this. Uh, Pause. Okay. In San Bernardino, California, he then spent time in Washington, D.C., adding environmental law and regulatory compliance to his practice. He then returned to SoCal in June of 2002, where he founded Briggs Law Corporation. His legal practice has two offices, one in San Diego and one in Upland. He is now running for city attorney of San Diego. And if people are not aware, it is not a uh, you know, Republican versus Democrat position. It's just supposed to be somebody who is for the best interests of San Diego. So a lot of people will sometimes ask, oh, what are you, Democrat, Republican? And it's like, well, that's not really coming into play here. So we'll, we'll also ask you a little bit about that. But And you, and you can't mention that on the ballot either, right? I mean, you can't designate. Yeah, it's nonpartisan. Nonpartisan. So it's not designated. Just, just like our podcast, it's also nonpartisan, which I love. Um, <laughs> one of the, the big, the big um, parts of Corey's campaign is speaking about moving uh, from a position of secrecy within the city attorney's office Office to one of transparency and effectively removing politics from government, something that we talk about very frequently about on this podcast. Um, and so I will let Corey tell you a little bit about himself. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, you've frequently been referred to as the candidate for the taxpayers. Am I right? That's right. And was that self-coined or was that given to you? Or how, how did you kind of come about getting that? Well, you're an accounting major, so, yeah. <laughs> so that helps. We need to have yeah. accounting majors. In Somebody has to be able to do basic math. <laughs> so, you know, reconcile a checkbook. Right. That would help. That would help. That would help. Uh, yeah, please tell us about yourself, your upbringing, raised in Ontario. Like, how did you get to where you are now? Which sure. is very impressive. Uh, how did I get here? So uh, I, I come from a family of public servants, and that includes... Your grandfather, right? My, my yeah. grandfather, my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, my mother's side was a firefighter, volunteer firefighter. Uh, they're all... Not only were they in what's official public service, uh, 
but they all believed pretty strongly in just being a productive part of your community, whether it was uh, volunteering for sports, whether it was volunteering at the holidays to make sure people had meals and gifts and things like that. Uh, You know, before it was popular to take care of people who didn't have the same good fortune, uh, all of them just on their own would sort of secretly help folks out. And it wasn't, you know, I was raised that that's what you do. It wasn't a special thing. Yeah. It was, you know, today's the day that, you know, the family whose son got hurt, today we're cooking for that family. Mm-hmm. stuff. So things like this, that's, that's just all I knew. And then uh, as I got a little older, uh, my grandfather was the mayor pro tem in Ontario. So he was on the council, would be the mayor when the mayor was not available. And uh, Ontario was in transition from agriculture to suburbs. Mm-hmm. And so it was still a lot of dairy mm-hmm. and uh, and orchards. And uh, he would either ride his horse, we would ride the horse wow. <laughs> to people's places, or uh, I'd ride in the truck. And he would go visit uh, his constituents who were, whether he agreed with them or not, they were all friends. And, uh, you know, after exchanging a few niceties, it was always, what, what do you need from the city? What, what do you need the city to do to improve your lot? That was and how big was this town, if you don't mind me asking? I'm probably curious. at the time it was 75,000. Okay. It, you know, eventually it's now probably 150 to yeah. 200,000. Um, and he was a superintendent of schools as well before he was on the city council. So everybody knew him because he'd hired many of the teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my, my teachers uh, through junior high school, many of them had been trained by him, had him as a principal, or he hired them when he was a superintendent. Uh, and you, you just, you never heard a bad word about my grandfather. And so, but, but it's because he was always, he never talked about himself. It was always about what he can what do. Can do for you. Um, I love that. I mean, yet Terry Tony. No, but, but that's it's just, so sweet. That's, so, anyway, so, so that was one example. My, uh, my grandmother uh, was a music teacher in school. And uh, she, you know, she thought, you know, b- before the budget cuts, when the arts programs <laughs> were gone, yeah. <laughs> you know, she was always there fighting, saying, you know, if we can teach kids music, they'll be better at math. I mean, this is 50 years ago, <laughs> okay, 60 years ago. I have to say, I went to music school. I am not great yeah, at she, math. Okay. So. <laughs> Just, <laughs> disclaimer. It's a theory. So. She, she wasn't <laughs> always right. But her, but her point was you needed yeah. to, you know, you can't just do reading, writing, arithmetic. Yeah. You have to have other. The creative parts of right, the child. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, and she was a big believer in being part of community groups and, and, uh, you know, so too with my family on my mom's side. Uh, just always involved in community stuff. And it was never special. It's just what, what you, you did. It was just what you did. Uh, so those are my role models. Oh, and, I love uh, that. Yeah. And, yeah, go ahead. What about, you know, what, so for you then, why this instead of full-time law? Why the city attorney's office why sort of public law? Well, let's go a step back, if you don't mind. Sure. Why law in the first place? Because I, you always say, I know philosophy is yeah. a common undergrad profession or, you know, study. You got accounting and you got philosophy. Yeah, yeah. So, what, why law, I guess. So it wasn't, it wasn't the plan. Yeah. Uh, what was the I, plan? I wanted to be a rock star. <gasps> Awesome. I was going to say that with the music thing. I was yeah, I want, I want to be a rock star. What type of music? Rock well, obviously rock and roll. Rock and roll. Okay. There, is there anything else? <laughs> Country music? But I won't, I won't go there. <laughs> Not commenting. <laughs> uh, 
Anyways, I, I want to be a rock star. And uh, what do you my, play? Uh, at the time, I played bass, guitar, and piano. Nice. And my parents always said, "You can do whatever you want. You gotta have a backup plan." Yeah. We'll support you 100 percent as long as you commit to a backup plan. And they did. And so uh, my my deal was I could do all the studio work I wanted. I could be whatever mm-hmm. band I wanted to do. And I did lots of stupid things at the time <laughs> and learned some lessons along the way. Uh, but I always had to be committed to finishing school. And whichever came first, they would support. But I had to have a plan. And uh, not surprisingly, as it happens, for, you know, <laughs> 99 people, yeah. and 9 yeah. tenths of the people who try to get into it, uh, the, the entertainment business thing didn't work out. And we understand. Yeah, yeah. fully. <laughs> so Harriet Harry was a singer. Yeah, Berkeley College of Music, lived in L.A., yeah. tried it in Nashville. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard it's a business. It's a tough industry. And, and it's, yeah. And I learned some lessons along the way. And then uh, when I was doing undergrad, this is in the late 80s, early 90s, environmentalism was a big deal. And I got into environmental ethics in undergrad. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to be a rock star, uh, I'd like to do academics. I'd like to teach. And my counselors, uh, my advisors, all said, if you want to go into academia now, it's everything's interdisciplinary and philosophy in some applied field. So you need to have a professional degree in addition to your PhD. And it's much easier for a professional to pay for a PhD than it is for a philosopher to pay for a professional degree. True. <laughs> so, you know, they all sort of had this sit down. Yeah. And I remember, you know. Uh, a legal gene, intervention, if yeah, you will. No. <laughs> I, I remember the meetings like they were yesterday with several different uh, professors. You know, I looked up to them very much. And they all said essentially the same thing. And so at that point, I decided, okay, I'm probably going to have to go to law school, have to go to graduate school, mm-hmm. but let's do law school first. Uh, it turns out they were right. Once you have a law degree, it's easier to yeah. pay for the other stuff you want to do. <laughs> and, and then the plan was just to do enough law to get into academics. Uh, but when I moved back to Washington, D.C. to do my Ph.D. and my LOM, I was practicing more. In addition to teaching, going to school, I was doing more environmental work. And I just got to liking it more and more. Right? My first three years uh, with Mundell, Adlam, and Hawes, they were great lawyers, great guys. They gave me lots of opportunity. Uh, they didn't love that I had a ponytail and earrings <laughs> and wore Birkenstocks, <laughs> but they appreciated the work I did, and they, and they treated me very well. And, uh, but my heart wasn't in that work. Yeah. I wanted to do environmental stuff. And then once I got to D.C. and was doing it more for national organizations and suing the feds and stuff like that, I realized it was actually quite fun. And as I got all further... all different definitions of fun. Huh? Yeah, different, <laughs> yeah, different definitions of fun. Uh, you know, I was still going to grad school, did all my exams, get my dissertation topics approved. And then in 2002, when my wife and I moved back to San Diego, I essentially had to make a choice. Am I going to stop practicing and finish my dissertation or am I going to give up the pipe dream? Because I, I was finding I liked practicing. You know this. Are you saying that you don't have your PhD? I am saying I don't have my PhD. I'm you in the same, same boat. Thing. I have a dissertation. Nice to meet you. I have a dissertation. <laughs> I've got four chapters of a dissertation. Someday it will be finished. Yes. When that happens, you guys uh, need a support yeah. group addicted yeah. to academia. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> the, the first several years when we moved back on my desk, I had an office in the house. Oh yeah, just all there taunting you, right? St- stacked up on the desk for my dissertation. My wife, she would come in. Remember her peering up on the book saying, <laughs> "Come to have a chat or something." Sounds very. Oh, you, you've been there. Familiar. I've got 
all of my dissertation stuff upstairs. But but it's interesting because you know um, <laughs> when I was when I was doing it, I was doing it on, on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights from like 1958 to like 1984, and that was current. Oh. So now it's historical. Yeah. So if you do things long enough, I, I, it'll become I, historical or vintage, right? It, you know, it won't be politics anymore. It'll be like you know history. So yeah, right. So that's amazing. At some point, at some point, we're going to walk down the aisle together with a PhD. That's, people, that's people, right. people that's will call right. us doctor. Right. That, that, that's that, that's fine. the only reason he wants to do it. Does that mean you want to call doctor? Well, it's like finishing <laughs> stuff. It's like it's being able to, yeah. you know. I don't know about you. Every now and then, I have that nightmare, or I don't have a dream nightmare where it's like. I got something to do. I got something to finish. And it's, it's weird having it's like a stress. This, it's having deal. this unfinished thing out there. But anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Not to sorry, make it about sorry. you. For, <laughs> for, for a while, I felt, you know, like I sort of failed that I'd let myself yeah. down. But the truth is I like what I do. Yeah, good. And uh, I've never not liked what I was doing. Yeah. And the reality is there's only so many hours in a day. And you have to juggle lots of things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and prioritize, you know. Yeah. And, and once I realized that I probably wasn't going to be in academics and I just wanted it for me. It made it easier to accept yeah. that it was going to happen because it was just for me and, and I didn't need it to be who I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't need it for the job. I didn't yeah. need it for, I didn't need the title. Uh, and, and I made a choice not to finish mm-hmm. it and I'm okay with the choice. Why politics then? I mean, law is one thing and you could stay in law, but I, I mean, yours is a, I'll say yours is a public type of law. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's involving government, but, but, why now the city attorney's office? And, and why don't you maybe talk about your your career and your experience in politics so yeah. far? So, so let me just push. I'm not sure, sure. what order to do this in. I don't think the job should be political. I understand that there's a sense of the word political or politician that it's elected office. So, uh, I get that. Yeah. I'm talking about the maneuvering under the auspices of the public good but really to pad your resume. I mean, that's what so many people in public office do. Yeah. I don't have any interest in that. Uh, this isn't a stepping stone. It wasn't part of my plan. Uh, I did it at this point because some people came and said, you know, we supported Mara Elliott the first time, and she's terrible. Yeah. And nobody else is willing to run. And you're the only person we know who understands the way the city works, understands the underbelly, you know, has seen it, has litigated it, who's capable of going toe-to-toe with an incumbent and is dumb enough to do it. <laughs> uh, they didn't there's, say an the last of, part, but there's an element of that in politics. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and they said, you know, you, you got to do it. But essentially, I was recruited into doing it. And, and that's fine. Hopefully the recruitment came with some dollars behind it. No, support. no oh. it didn't. Don't you love those? Dinner? No. No. <laughs> no, look, the, it yeah. was, there are a lot of people, you know, if you work yeah. in, in government affairs, there are a lot of people who care about the policy, who care about making sure the government's on the right track. And, and, and they run the spectrum. It's not a party thing. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. There are lots of good folks working on these issues. Uh, but you have a lot of, there's a lot of temptation in politics to do things under the auspices of the public good when that's just blatant BS. But you say it. It's, it's as if if you say it enough, everybody true. will believe that it's true. Right. And it's just not. It's really padding the resume for the next gig. And 
Uh, anyway, so a number of folks, uh, they were all women, in fact, came to me one, one day and said, That's always we need good to have, to have the vote of the women. Yeah, they, these, were, these were women who supported Mara yeah. the first time around. And they said, now. Yeah. this is not what we signed up for. We were all very firmly in her camp, and she has turned out to be everything that we thought she wouldn't be. Yeah, we'll talk about that because I definitely have some questions about, like, so, certain, one, how she's still in office after certain things that occurred um, during all of that. But I, one thing that I, I feel like, sorry, I love this quote from a video that I saw of you do. The San Diego City's attorney's office is pursuing an agenda contrary to the will of the voters. And obviously that seems very evident with Mara Elliott. And why do you think that is? Like, it sounds like, and we talked about this with Pete Message, and it sounds like there are all these plans and things that people say, especially Mara um, and anyone who really runs. And then it's like the minute that they win, the night that they win the election, those kind of go out the window. And their day one looks completely different than what they initially promised. Why do you think that is? How does that flip? So I, I don't know what's in her head. You yeah. Know, that, that you have to ask her. Here's my observation about people running for office. And, and I confess that there's always the potential for it to happen to me. Happy to tell you why I think that's less of a risk, but I'm yeah. not, I don't pretend to be perfect. Uh, you often hear people running for office who essentially say, I will defend the public against the government in one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's not partisan. That's not a right wing or left wing yeah. thing. That is it, whatever, pick your constituents' issue. Mm-hmm. They will say, I will be your advocate against something bad happening at City Hall, something bad happening at the Mm -hmm. Capitol, something bad happening in government. They get elected, and within days, they are defending the government against their constituents. Yeah. They've just flipped 180 degrees. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether. It is because they... You got Stockholm Syndrome kind of deal? Well, look, look, uh, I have some sense. Yeah. Nobody wants to go in and make enemies on Mm -hmm. day one. Yeah. Uh, Also, there's this sense that, well, I'm new. I don't know everything. They clearly know better. Uh, They have everybody's best interests at heart. And they've been doing this for a long time. And they have all this information and I don't. And A little bit of imposter syndrome almost that you can talk about kind of... Well, and, and look, you... If you went in on day one and had an acrimonious relationship, nobody would show you where the coffee machine yeah. is. Nobody would tell you where the bathroom yeah. is. Nobody would tell you, you know, where you turn in your mileage reimbursement right. form. Everybody would just shut you up. Yeah. So there's a certain sense of you've got to go along to get along. Uh, I don't think people realize that, you know. So I think yeah. that's interesting. Thank you right. for, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that. if you start a new job. Oh yeah. Right? You're, and you, get you walk in, you find yeah. out things are weird. You're, <laughs> you're not going to start whistleblowing on day yeah, one, right? Exactly. You're going to wait until you mm-hmm. you settle in a little bit. Uh, so I, I think there's a certain element of that. And then, you know, politics is no different from any other gig. People want promotions. Yeah. People want to rise to a certain level, and. Uh, you know, in the private sector or in other jobs, there's, uh, there are lots of ways that people are filtered out, right? There's lots of pressures. There's a supervisor and there's colleagues and there's a job performance and all these things. And at the end of the day, the decision makers are a finite group of people. You know, you can count them on one or two hands and they have some credibility experience that got them there in the first place. In government service, it's the voters. Yeah. And it's inchoate, and it is subject to manipulation, and it is, you know, people are busy. They don't have time to, to follow things oh, yeah, really carefully. Closely. And so 
you know, folks will give a little bit of time and you get close to the election. Mm-hmm. And so what people think is, as long as they see my bit of info yeah. in the right package in that five or ten minute window, I've got their vote. And so that's what they work toward. Yeah. They're and banking on confirmation that, that, bias. That's, that's right. So, uh, you know, I don't know whether I'm right. That's that's my observation. Uh, you know, there are some well, exceptions argument, to that. Sure. But for the most part, I think, you know, you have people who go in more or less well-meaning. Uh, look, when, when you get invited to all the parties and, you know, f- they invite you to dinners and everything's comped, yeah. right? And you can see that from the disclosures and you get to be part of the jokes and you get to be part of the trips and, you, yeah. and everybody's, you know, there's an award for You're everything you in the group do. text. Yeah. You, you, you like that, right? You yeah. Know, rats hitting the button for the yeah. pellet. And so you play to that crowd. Not a lot of folks are prepared to step back and say, am I playing to the right yeah. crowd? Let me ask you, uh, you know, so uh, uh, full disclosure, this was a position that I was thinking of running for. Yeah. God, uh, back when Jan Goldsmith ran the first time. And so I sort of put my name in the hat and, and, and I looked around. It wasn't the right time for me and, and I'm no longer interested. But but, uh, but I looked at the position and it's interesting. So Micah Geary on one side, Jan Goldsmith probably on the other have, have two distinct styles. Mm-hmm. Now, where does, Ma- where does Mara fit in? Is she... Jan Goldsmith like, or is she in the middle, or is she in a league of her own? Well, <laughs> and, and then where would you do? Where do you think you you fit in there, or or, or do you fit in? Or are you a yeah, system system? So, I mean, uh, so there's a few questions. There. questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a few questions there. Uh, Mara is, uh, I believe in the Peter principle. I think she's been promoted to her level of incompetence. Yeah. She's, she's not fit to run the office on a couple different levels. Uh, she never managed an organization that big. You know, she used to manage half a dozen, seven or eight lawyers at the time. My, my firm is that size or maybe a little bit more depending on the point yeah. in time. So she's never managed 400 people. She worked, she's worked in government all her career. So she's never ever had to worry about malpractice because government lawyers are immune from malpractice. You're in private practice. You know, no matter how good you think you are, you will have nights where you wake up saying, did I do the right thing for the client? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> it just happens. It, it, and, and that's a good lawyer. Yeah. Because the lawyer has to look out for the client first. If you had no exposure, if yeah. there were never any risk of getting in trouble... Like no you'd approach it. You'd approach sense. it differently. That's exactly yeah. right. And so, there is no malpractice risk in the city attorney's office. To me, I think that's important, right? If I mean, ask yourself: Do you want the doctor yeah. operating on you <laughs> who likes her house and is afraid of losing it, or do you want the doctor who, under no circumstances, could lose her house? Yeah, it's like that commercial. You want somebody who's just okay. Yeah, that's right. How do you feel about the surgery today? Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Folks will say, God, it's going to take me three months to get into this surgeon. Yeah. I'm like, do you want the one who's available All today? the time? <laughs> not who I want. It's super true. Like, I'm, I'm okay true. waiting three months until <laughs> there's an opening. So, you know, the, the market knows something. So, yeah, right? So, 
uh, uh, both Jan and Mike were extremely competent to do what they did. They had different approaches. You can, you can argue about their styles, but neither one of them had been promoted to a position of incompetence. But Mara, I think, has. Also, it's been pretty clear from the beginning that Mara wasn't content to stop at city attorney. She's had her eye on the attorney general seat oh, yeah. for quite some time. Uh, and, you know, you don't, you know, when, when it was uh, John Witt, when it was Casey Gwynn, when it was Mike Aguirre, when it was Jan Goldsmith, you never heard about party politics creeping into where they were. You never heard about them at party meetings, yeah. trying to do things. You never heard that. the same John Witt who was on the County Board of Education? What's that guy? Know. I don't know. That's interesting. Okay. That's uh, no, you're th- uh, I think you're thinking of somebody else. Okay. Uh, okay. But you now, you know, you now see Mara cutting endorsement deals and being yeah. part of party politics. And that's what government lawyers should not be doing. And we, and we see it right now nationally. Yeah. And left, right, and center all recoil at, at the political machinations going on at the highest levels of DOJ. Whichever way sure. you, you think sure. people are misbehaving, sure. the point is everybody agrees that there's mischief. Yeah. And as a lawyer, I'm, I'm appalled by all of it. You know, I, I have a friend who, when Michael Avenatti was initially making his rounds and was on every channel every 30 seconds, you know, this person says, oh, this is great. He's going to, you know, he's going after Trump and blah, blah, blah. And I said, this guy's a charlatan. He's yeah. a phony. Like, why do you say that? No lawyer does that. Serious lawyers don't do what this guy's doing. No, my dad always says the best lawyers are the ones that you don't hear about. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the lawyers are part of a team, right? There's a head coach. There's an owner, yeah. you know, there's, you know, general manager, whatever your metaphor. And I really respect the, all of the sports metaphors, too. I feel like that's very consistent in your campaign messaging, and I love the, it. Or were you in sports? Or? No, it's just, it's, it's um, you know, it's, no, I love it's it. easy. Okay, to, no, 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 to, no, I love you know, it. People, people yeah. get it. Yeah. Uh, and the lawyer's not supposed to be the MVP. The lawyer's not yeah. supposed to be the superstar. Yeah. The lawyer is supposed to be the supporting actor, mm-hmm. not the star. And And when... The lawyer gets praise. The supporting actor says, no, I'm just a reflection of the cast yeah. around me. And that's not what you have. And so, you know, I, th- I think when you combine the Peter principle with a desire to move up in politics, it, it explains an awful lot. It explains why you have a non-attorney as the chief of staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it explains why, you know, we caught him trying to destroy evidence. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and yet he's still there. Right? I mean, if anybody else in any other position would have been fired long ago, much less, or you know, if not after last week's revelations about trying yeah. to destroy evidence. Let me ask you. So, so for most San Diego voters, your name is familiar, and and uh, well, there was talk of you running for mayor, right? I said I was going to run for mayor, and I was. So, so I didn't file the papers. I did. No. So you going to do it? Yeah. You've been a pretty um, say you you know. Consistent part of community well, efforts. Well, and, I well, mean, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the, some of your your suits, because because and you know, I haven't done the background on them right now, but my understanding is I remember your name from some. I have. Uh, <laughs> I have them right here. You have. <laughs> yes. That's why we do that. Um. But, but, but uh, tell us a little bit about 
sure. some of the bigger suits. Because I probably know you from the Soccer City SDSU yeah, West kind of. Yeah, I'm yeah sure. So, and also, I, I guess some other environmental issues yeah. too, right? So. Uh, I'll just uh, no particular order. No, no, so no. take it away. You you know that currently there's a housing crisis of maybe ten thousand people on the streets in the city. Yeah. Uh, back in the early 2000s, I represented the Affordable Housing Coalition and some others because the city was in the process of allowing SROs, which are single-room occupancy hotels. Mm-hmm. They are essentially the size of this room uh, with a hot plate and a microwave and a sink and often a community bathroom. They are for the... Sounds like the hotel I stayed in up in San Francisco recently yeah. called the Music City Hotel. <laughs> 120 <laughs> bucks a night in a shared bath. I haven't had a freaking shared bathroom since I was in college. Okay. Sorry, okay. I just thought I'd throw that Sorry, I didn't mean to trigger you. <laughs> you triggered me on that one. <laughs> but anyway. So, so, and they were downtown, and they were for folks who... That was the housing of last resort. Uh, many of these people were on some form of public assistance. They have... Uh, people with disabilities, mental health issues, substance abuse, name it. Uh, But it was affordable housing. It was de facto affordable housing. It wasn't nice. No. But it was a roof and it was warm and it was a bed. Yeah, it was safe. Uh, And the city was allowing those to be converted to boutique hotels and high-end condos. And so these clients hired me saying, Corey, is there a way to stop it? Yeah, there's a way. Uh, All of those conversions will have environmental impacts. And we... Uh, we had a professor from SDSU, uh, he's now retired, but his name Nico Calavita, who went and looked at the literature and he says, when you get rid of affordable housing at this rate in, in this type of market, and you put all these people on the street, you're just a couple years away from, uh, from an epidemic of pestilence. Yeah. Right? You're going you're gonna to have disease on the street. This is in the early 2000s. Oh, okay, yeah. And so the city was converting these SROs, and then, and the city didn't listen to us. We, we tried to get them to stop. They didn't listen. And then they started converting condos. Uh, sorry, converting to condos. They would take apartments yeah. that were lower end. They'd paint them. They'd do some cosmetic work. It was lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Then they would subdivide the condo, the apartment units into condos. And then they would sell them and they'd make $100,000, $200,000 profit. Well, these, this was housing that was de facto affordable. It wasn't high end, yeah. but it was safe and it was clean and it was affordable. Yeah. And the city proceeded to get rid of those. And Professor Calavita said the same thing. He's like, you know, you're, you're getting rid of 10,000 units a year. You're not building anything to no. replace them. These people are Where either going to be commuting longer, which yeah. is bad for traffic and air pollution, yeah. or they're going to be on the street, which is bad for, for, for crime and sickness. Well, fast forward. Look where we here, are here, now. You know, here 10 we years are. later, yeah. they let all of the conversions go through. We tried to stop them. We did the best we could. And... You know, the mayor and the city council wouldn't listen. And by the way, this isn't partisan. Yeah. There were Democrats and Republicans who said, no, we're not doing that. Uh, we sued. We slowed some down. But we didn't, we didn't stop it from happening. Uh, there was uh, an attempt to expand the convention center yeah. about 10 years ago without getting the public to approve the tax that is now is in the ballot the for Measure C. issue or was that a different No, that was a different one. Okay. Uh, the hotel industry voted on a tax and said, we're the voters. The city literally wrote a law that says the hoteliers are voters. Wow. So that when they get voter approval, it wasn't from us. It was from the businesses who wanted the subsidy to expand the convention How center. How is that okay? Like, it wasn't. <laughs> That's why the Court of Appeal agreed with us yeah. and said, no, you got to put it on the ballot for 
flesh and blood voters, not yeah. business owners. Uh, we've sued to, you know, when I first came to San Diego, I represented San Diego Coast Keeper because the Marines were training in raw sewage up oh at Camp gosh. Pendleton. Yep, they were, they would get their guns and their equipment and they'd have to traipse through oh. the sewage outfall. And that was not, they deserve better. Yeah. They shouldn't have to be training in that. So we sued, got that cleaned up. Uh, and people tend to think, and I just want to jump on because I, I think that uh, speaking for someone who might be listening who's not super familiar, some people in the UT, I know, they gave you a heck of a time, I feel like, in the interview you did with them in terms of uh, people, the headlines, you know, speaking about these lawsuits being bad, like, do you want someone who sued the city? What they don't understand is that you're suing the city for them to be open and transparent about things. Yeah, you know, this is, you know, part of your question that yeah. started this line. Uh, I don't have any friends at City Hall. Yeah. Which is super fine by me. Yeah. Those, because I see what they do. I'm not interested in having enough yeah. people, you know, that over for Thanksgiving yeah. or at my funeral. That's, that's, those aren't, those aren't my peeps. Mm-hmm. My peeps are regular San Diegans who you don't know. Yeah. They're regular folks. They're your neighbors. They're regular people who see something, they say something like, hey, is there something that can be done about it? Sometimes there isn't, but many times there is. And if you think, regardless of what the policy is, regardless of what your politics are, if you think that decisions should be made openly, if you think that people should be told the truth about what the city is proposing to do, if you think that the people making the decisions shouldn't have a financial interest in the outcome, if you think that the public should be given all of the information up front and an opportunity to to learn it and Mm -hmm. distill it, and then make their case to decision makers who remain open-minded before they hear from the constituents. Will you tell me whether that's Democrat, Republican, Independence Party, Green Party? Yeah. That, that's basic government. Those are my clients. Uh, I have clients who are rabid lefties and rabid righties. And we, don't, we, we get along just fine because what we have in common is that the government is supposed to work For you. at a basic level. Mm-hmm. For the public. Doesn't mean you always get your way. Mm-hmm. But it means that you lose on the merits. Not because everything was cooked yeah. from the beginning. We just went through the motions. So Let me ask you that. Yeah. So maybe talk about homelessness in a minute. Because, uh, you know, we know with homelessness, something's going on. I, I mean, it's either, oh, it's, it, you know, I think on the right, the right probably believes that we're being too lenient. That's why people are coming. Some of the left are saying, well, there's something else going on. I, I mean, you know, there's something with housing. I mean, on the one hand, it's sort of, it's a housing issue. The other hand, well, it's not really housing. It's, it's a combination of things. But you, you brought up an interesting point. It's, it's, you know, so attorneys can only do so much, mm-hmm. as you know. And so, and, and what a lot of attorneys don't, you know, a lot of attorneys don't understand it. It just doesn't end with the litigation. It ends with the settlement. Right. And the settlement is one way where you can really be a deal maker here. Right. And, and you can help both sides. And, and, and I think, you know, really good litigators are good settlers, I think, too. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, and, and with the hotel situation previously. So, so um, they used to call them in the 50s flop houses and stuff like that. But, but studies have been done where where you had uh, urban renewal. And all of a sudden, you, you got rid of all these cheap places. And 
and you had apartments and people people didn't have a place where they could go for a couple bucks or five mm-hmm. bucks or yeah. ten bucks or something. But, but well, gentrification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from a homelessness issue, you know, from a you know the public, both a public servant and somebody who's a citizen, what do you think about homelessness? And 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 as a city attorney, can you do something about that? Because that's uh, you've got jurisdiction over civil plus misdemeanors that, that mm-hmm. and public nuisance, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, but what are you thinking about homelessness? How would so give us your view on homelessness, and and how would you help as as a city attorney? Yeah, sure. So, let, let me make a few observations. Yeah, I don't buy the false dichotomy that it's more law enforcement or more housing. There is a broad spectrum. Of, of social and government failures that got us to this place. And the solution is not one or the other. It's a combination mm-hmm. of a number of things, which includes what those folks are talking about. That's a good example of politics taking over the debate. Right? It's either this or it's that. Yeah. And then those people right. are pitted against each yeah. other. Yep. And you would think that they're actually brawls, you know, with yeah. baseball bats and chains yeah. and nunchucks, yeah. where people who want more housing, people who want more law enforcement yeah. are butting heads. This, this is not the case. So that, that's a false story. Within the homeless population, there are different subgroups, people who are there for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people are there because they live paycheck to paycheck and they have to move and find another place. They don't have enough for security deposit. Or they don't have the credit to, yeah, to, yeah. Right. And so they're going to be on the street for a short period of time. We need something to deal with that. Uh, the, there are people who uh, have family emergencies, right? Medical emergencies, things like that, right? Health care is expensive. Not everybody has insurance. You know, there's a calamity and they can't afford what they need and they end up living in their cars. We have to be able to deal with all of those issues. No, nobody's in favor of stepping over bodies in the street. No. I don't know anybody who thinks no that that's acceptable. Just, re, just yeah. no person yeah. thinks that outcome is okay. So there are some folks who are taking advantage of the system, and law enforcement is appropriate is an appropriate response. But it's wrong to say that if we just had more law enforcement, the homeless problem would go away. You might not see it in your neighborhood, which, by the way, is what some people are okay with, out of sight of mind. It's spreading everywhere now. Right. That's right. But more law enforcement doesn't make the whole issue go Mm -hmm. away. The same way that more housing doesn't make the whole issue go away. Because the, the idea that if you just had housing for people, they wouldn't be on the street, it's not true. Mm -hmm. It's true that some would not be on the street. But there are some folks who need a higher level of care. Often there's a mental health or yeah, substance, or substance abuse, abuse issue. And we don't have the beds for treating with that. I remember as a kid in our community, part of the basic infrastructure was places for people with mental health issues. Right? We had, you know, we used to have a family member who uh, was at one of these institutions and they were around the community. And, you know, it wasn't PC how we referred to them at the time, yeah. but they were part of the community. They don't exist anymore. And that, that's, that's another story. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, but we don't have that. And so we're thousands of beds short because we have people with mental health and substance abuse problems. Doesn't matter how we got there. The point is we don't have them. Yeah. You can't say that if you just had a bed for these people, 
everything would be okay. So having these conversations in a political context really does a disservice to the public. I think it's one of the places where it's helpful to be a lawyer because I get to say you're all wrong and you're all right. And you yes. know, you know, yes. when you settle cases that are difficult, sure. you have to break things up mm -hmm. and deal with certain, certain issues in a certain way. So one of the things that a city attorney could be doing that hasn't happened is we have churches and healthcare centers who have said, we will take temporary housing in our parking lots in yeah, vacant land that's nearby. And we have a good uh, relationship with our community. We're willing to take the hit, take the, take the, the pushback in order to house 50, 80, 150 people here. The healthcare centers, they have treatment available immediately. Mm -hmm. That's, people are talking about this right now. They've been talking about it for years. For years they've been telling the city that they'd be willing to do this, but you can't get through the red tape. As a city attorney, one of the first things I do is say, if you want to declare a state of emergency, here's how you do it, and here are all the powers you get to get this stuff permitted now. Yeah. And move it forward now. And let it be on a two, three, five-year basis. Let it be short-term. People would be okay with that. You have a nice, at least it's doing something. Yeah, and, and, and I think you'd have a nice coalition of builders and There are folks who want to do it. That's right. There are folks who want to do it, but they're told we can't do it because the communities will scream. No, we, we have the legal authority. What you need is the lawyer to say, here's how you exercise it. That's one of the problems that I see with the city attorney's office. You'll know this from being a lawyer. You don't just sit back and wait for the client to call and say I have a problem. If you have a relationship with a client, you say, hey, I saw something in the newspaper or I just saw yeah. a development or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Here are some options. If you want to talk about it, let me know. Yeah. You, you do that outreach. You're constantly helping to counsel yeah. the client on what their legal options are. You are you're a thought partner in helping move things along. Uh, that doesn't happen, and if it does, it certainly doesn't happen transparently. So I would, I would want to uh, help the city get housing like that happening faster. On the, uh, on the prosecutions, you know, they're, the police move a lot of homeless folks. The police don't want to be doing this. They don't like this. They don't like being in the position they're in. Nobody likes the relationship that the police have had to have on the homeless issues. Now, there are some folks who require law enforcement. We'd have to be honest. Not every person experiencing homelessness doesn't need, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't require that level of care. Some folks are violent, not because they're out to kill people, no. but they just require a certain level yeah. of handling that none yeah. of us is capable of, yeah. of dealing with. Yeah. Uh, just because the police get called doesn't mean it's heavy-handed law enforcement. Somebody has to say that because it's true. When I have a problem, who do I call first? 911. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because they're the ones who diagnose and figure out, do you bring in the fire department? Do you oh, call yeah. the ambulance? Yeah. That's who you call. Or you call the off-duty police line. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but if it's an emergency, yeah. you call yeah, 911. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right? So I'm, I'm calling the cops first and foremost. Uh, but at the same time, it's a total waste of money to just be sweeping with police because we failed to plan. Right? As a city, we failed to plan. And now we're spending all sorts of money on overtime and storage of things, on things that we all knew were coming. 
Like none of this is a surprise. That's what's horrible about it. If you have a good lawyer, they're letting you know, hey, here's some developments. Here are things you can be doing. Here's where we can be helpful on this, but here's where I need you to do something, right? You have conversations with your clients. These are things that I can do for you as a lawyer, but here are things that you've got to do as the client Mm -hmm. so that I can help you get to where you want to be. Uh, You have to have those conversations. And as a government lawyer, you have to have them publicly because you work for the public. The public has a lot of good ideas. They're very good at vetting, right? It is the, you know, democracy's oldest form of crowdsourcing information. And if you are making decisions without them, you might have your feelings hurt when they say, yeah, that's a terrible idea. But you're now invested in this great Mm -hmm. idea that you thought you had, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get this pushback. Well, the sooner you're out there having a conversation with the public, the sooner you're going to find out that there's something we can all sure. that we can all settle on and yeah. agree on. Sure. And great, and let's move that ball ten yards down the field. What about short-term rentals? I guess there's is that an issue which is in your. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, what do you think about that? I, I know that. I hear different things in certain... Well, Mayor Faulkner, I know, has designated um, the, what do you call them, the safe parking lot stuff. So I feel like there's there's a lot of action that people are trying to take. I know Gavin Newsom uh, obviously wants this billion-dollar plan. But what I have seen, and I'm I'm curious to know what you think as well, it seems like there isn't a direct correlation between an increased amount in spending trying to help prevent homelessness and an actual decrease in percentage of of homeless people on on the street. So so let me... Yes, Were you you asking about the short-term vacation rentals? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's different questions. Yeah, yeah, different questions. Sorry. There's no homeless. No. Okay. Let's do the short-term rentals. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I thought you mentioned... No, no. No problem. That's okay. Uh, the short-term vacation rentals are illegal because they're not authorized under the municipal code. That's the answer. Yeah. In San Diego, any use is illegal if it's not authorized. They're not authorized. The city attorney has independent enforcement authority. Should have been exercised long ago. She touted it when she was running for office and got elected. And, you know, this is one of the things I say to folks. Our system is great because prosecutorial decisions are made without input from the politicians. You don't want politicians dictating who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. That is one of the decisions that's left to the professional judgment of lawyers and prosecutors, overseen by judges. Mara's position is, until the mayor and the city council give me the green light to prosecute, I can't prosecute. That's 180 degrees opposite of the platform she ran on. And it's an indication that she's willing to hide behind politics for not doing what prosecutors are supposed to do. We're a rule-based society. If you don't like the rule, change the rule. Yeah. But the rules exist for a reason. Prosecutors are charged with enforcing the rules. And just because it's unpleasant, yeah. you know, you're going to get pushback from your friends doesn't mean you don't do your job. In her case, it, it's meant she doesn't do her job. So, uh, you know, they're, they're illegal. I would yeah. prosecute them. What about your uh, question on the homeless thing? No, I mean, that's, that, that, sorry, that, that's, don't, no. don't worry about that. Um, one thing, yeah, basically, it's pretty simple from what I can tell that you've said but you, um, about the, the short-term rentals. I mean, it's illegal, and, and I know you've been very vocal about saying that you would prosecute them. I also wanted to kind of just talk about kind of basically aspects of Mara's current uh, 
job that she's not really getting right in a sense. And I don't want to just bash Mara or anything along those lines. because I feel like that's not necessarily, you know, people know what she's messing up on slightly, but one thing that really shocked me and that I wasn't completely aware of, um, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but in 2004, more than 82% of San Diego's voters amended the city charter to guarantee the public's right of, uh, the right basically to access information about how city officials are conducting the public's business. But last year, February 2019, after the city attorney's office suffered a series of defeats in court, Mara Elliott attempted to secretly rewrite the California Public Records Act without notifying the mayor or the city council. True. How, I mean, why <laughs> one, why would she do that? And two, how did she get away with still being in office pretty much. I mean, that sounds so illegal, right? And it's very well, it's, shady. It's shady. It's not illegal. <laughs> it's not, it's, wow. It's really? unethical. Okay. It's, it's unethical. Okay. It's not illegal. Uh, th- this is one of my big problems with the office. And, and I want to be clear about something. There's a lot of great people who work in that office. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, there's many but, people. But the tone is set at the top. Mm-hmm. And between Mara Elliott and non-attorney Jerry Braun, her chief of staff, who was the number two in the office, uh, you couldn't have the tone set by more uh, tone-deaf people, shall we say. Uh, the, the city has a terrible track record in public records cases. I, I don't know if I've litigated the most, but I've, if not, I'm close to the most. And the city often refuses to give the public information. And they lose. And and. California's rule is if you have to hire a lawyer to get you information and the lawsuit results in you getting the info, mm-hmm. you've got to pay the lawyer, right? It's it's essentially you break it, you buy it. Yeah. Makes sense. Nobody yeah. disagrees with it. It's how the press forces agencies to turn it over, how watchdogs force agencies how you many to turn over. That, that's exactly right. It, yeah. That's exactly right. I got to win. I get paid to win, mm-hmm. right? Mara gets paid win or lose. Yeah. But anyways, so... She proposes a change that would make it virtually impossible for you to hire a lawyer. It would mean the lawyers don't get paid. Lawyers have kids to put through school and mouths oh, to feed and mortgages to pay. Yeah. There you go. So they're, they're just like anybody else. Uh, and so she basically tried to kill the market for open government lawyers. And she failed. Mm-hmm. The mayor said, we had no idea you were doing this, not okay. City council said, no idea you're doing this, not okay. They all disavowed them, uh, disavowed themselves of what she was doing. And she said, well, I'm an elected official. I can do whatever I want. And, yes, she does still have her job. Uh, but that, you know, that is the case. One of my clients said, Corey, find out what she said to Ben Weiss's office that would make him be supportive of this because he carried the bill for her for a couple weeks. And... You know, she invoked uh, attorney privileges to say we don't have to give you that information. Yeah. And you don't have secrecy between a law office and an outside no, that's... government office. There's, there's, there's no privilege there, which is what she invoked. And eventually we got all the documents except one that was in the news last week. And that was an email where her staff said two things said, here's the amended legislation. It'll stop Corey Briggs. But worse than that, and I said, that doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. I I know the office. I take no offense at it. Uh, It's wrong. It shows the petty politics and how they're abusing the office for personal reasons. But I, I take no offense at that. What was offensive was the next line of the email that spoke with praise, uh, 
about the failure of another statute that would have penalized public agencies for stonewalling. If there was an effort in order to improve the enforceability mm-hmm. of this open records law, that agencies that the judge thought were unreasonable in withholding documents, they would be fined. Wow. And so there was another incentive, not just attorney's fees, but the, but the, the scarlet letter of being fined. Mm-hmm. And, and that bill went nowhere, and the city attorneys, the secret email, praised the fact that it had died. And, and that, to me, is what's most revealing, right? It's an yeah. ethos of secrecy. So, you know, it's, uh, I can understand why they would not want that email to see the light of day. Oh, yeah, it's but daring. it's illegal to destroy evidence. Sure. And, uh, you know, Jerry Brown should have been fired over that long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he admitted under oath that the reason he tried to destroy it is because I had asked for it. I didn't know it existed. But he knew it existed, and once I made the request on the client's behalf, he knew that folks wouldn't want it seen. The mistake was I don't care about my part. Yeah. It shows that they're disdain for anything that requires agencies to be transparent. What about the soccer stadium that night? Right about the what? About the soccer stadium. Have you been involved in that? Yeah. So so I, uh, in 2016, I wrote Measure D Mm -hmm. to try to deal with all these issues. It failed. and then in 2018, Measure G passed, mm-hmm. and I represented Donna Fry, who came on as a supporter at the end, making sure that her concerns were addressed so that we knew for sure that the public park was going to happen. That's when, when we did our polling back on Measure D, there are supporters of SDSU, there are supporters of soccer, there are supporters of getting rid of cars in Mission Valley, but, but you could see where they fell along the spectrum. What everybody wanted was a big regional park. Yeah. Everybody was in favor of that. And so Donna wanted to make sure that that was a sure thing. Uh, it wasn't a sure thing as written, so there were some side concessions made to make sure that people like Donna would come on and be supportive. I represented her in that. Uh, when Once the voters put Soccer City and SDSU West on the ballot, Mara went to court trying to get them removed from the ballot. And uh, one of my clients hired me to intervene. There were some other people who fought Mm -hmm. it, too. But we intervened, taking no position on the merits, but saying the public's entitled to vote. The voters have put this on the ballot. Everybody at the city council said, yes, this should go to the voters. And now you've got a lawyer who unilaterally decides, because she doesn't like the process, that the voters shouldn't vote. That's wrong. Yeah. It's going to be on the ballot. You put it on the ballot. So, uh, so we fought that, and eventually, you know, the voters weighed in and approved one and not the other. What else is big? What What else are you interested in? I mean, I mean, if you you had a couple other main issues yet, I yeah. Mean, Can I so, ask one question yeah, sure. before we get into that? Yeah. Just because uh, this is what I feel like is extremely necessary for people to know going into this upcoming election and kind of why they should definitively choose anybody else besides Mara Elliott, um, quite frankly, is one thing you speak about as well, and this is a big campaign, you know, point of yours, is protecting children. And I know, obviously, I'm sure we can't speak too much on it, but I think the way in which Mara Elliott handled the entire allegations and... Yeah. Can, you, can you speak about the whole sure. San Diego Junior Theater and the disclosing? I sure. Mean, oh. So, uh, Junior Theater gets about $100,000 a year from the city in, mm-hmm. in 
tourist tax yeah. money that's used to advance the arts. And this is the one about Bell Park, right? Correct. Yeah, I've Correct. been a part of it. <laughs> and uh, I have a client whose children were participants, and there was a concern among some parents that some of the teachers, some of the adults were abusing physically or sexually mm-hmm. some of the kids in the program. And he wasn't the only parent who had this view. There were several, but uh, he was a lawyer. He decided to do what lawyers do. He's going to investigate it, research it, put together a report. That's right. And he sent it to uh, the authorities, including Mara Elliott. Mara campaigned. There's a video of her saying, uh, I will protect the children and seniors from fraud and abuse. Well, Junior Theater was represented by a lawyer who ran against Mara in the primary and and is a good friend of hers. And when the complaint was emailed to her by my client, long before he ever hired me, I didn't even know the person at the time, he emails this long complaint to her in the afternoon on one day. The next day in the morning, she forwards it to this friend and says, I haven't read this yet, but I recognize his name. There's a whole bunch of problems in that. Yeah. Number one, clearly somebody's been going to the prosecutor talking about somebody who may have evidence about wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily illegal, but it is concerning to me that folks are trying to preempt potential criminal activity. The bigger problem is that she says, I haven't read it, but she forwards what is a very well-documented mm-hmm. report on child abuse to the lawyer for the accused. Yeah. Not only is that unethical as a prosecutor, but allegations of child abuse by law are confidential. Mm-hmm. She just forwarded it. Yeah, without even reading she it. She didn't apparently. read it. She didn't redact things. She didn't say, hey, I want to talk to you about pages 72 to 75. None of that stuff. And he's one of her biggest donors, right? He's, he's a donor. He's in her campaign videos. It's disgusting. And so, so now let's just assume that there was no abuse whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It turns out that there was. Some people have gone to jail. Uh, other people have lost their job. Let's assume there was no abuse whatsoever. Do you have confidence that the allegations were thoroughly investigated and there was a bona fide finding of no wrongdoing. Not if you know that the prosecutor is sharing the information with the lawyer for the accused before ever reading it. It's not an email that says, hey, we've had a complaint. Can you and your client come in? We want to talk to you about such and such. That's, that's how professionals investigate mm-hmm. wrongdoing. This was, hey, just got this, haven't read it, but I recognize the author's name. To tell me, raise your hand in this city if you have confidence that the kids were protected in that case, that their interests came first. Yeah. Nobody will raise their hands. And, and so the biggest problem we have in government right now, and this goes back to, you know, you know, why am I running away to people ask me to get in? Nobody trusts the government. No, nobody trusts Google the ratings people. are down. Right across the board. Across the board. I forgot but, for representatives, for lawyers. For everybody. Right across for the board. everybody. Yeah. For the media, for everybody. And, and lots of people have not been on their best behavior. So at a time when folks should be going the extra mile 
to be transparent, to be ethical, to avoid even getting close to any ethical lines. Her office could care less about where the lines are, could care less about transparency. And we can't move forward as a community until the people who don't like the outcome of our decisions trust that it was done for legitimate reasons. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you think that's possible? Do you think that can ever actually happen? Or I, I think it, yeah. so. I mean, okay. you know, we fight about stuff at the margins. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the margins are getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. But look, you, at least as lawyers, maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm Pollyannish about this, but I go to court sometimes when sometimes I lose. If I did my best, if my opponent did their best, if the judge read the briefs and looked at the evidence and everybody had a fair hearing and the judge gave a really thorough ruling, mm-hmm. sometimes I read them, I say to my clients, I'm like, I agree with the judge. I didn't see that. I don't think it's unfair. I don't think anybody cheated. We it's lost fair and square. It's about, yeah. it's about having a process where everybody knows the rules up front. That's right. I think, and this is just me personally having, because I, I, when we talk about this on the show a lot, trying to be partisan and stuff, I make myself read, you know, all of the news. So not just CNN or MSNBC, but also Fox. I like to see how all sides argue and, and Bright, even Breitbart on occasion. Uh, he forwards me stuff all the time, but I feel like you were always, to some degree, maybe this is just me, um, that's going to be cynical of the other side winning. And for example, I mean, all of a sudden there's a conspiracy on the side of the the Fox News about Bernie, you know, being pushed out by his own party and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like you're always going to have somebody questioning the ethics of a, of a decision. Good. Yeah. You should always have somebody questioning it. That's why you should be transparent. Yeah. That's why you should be honest. That's why you should be competent. Okay. No, I like That's that. This is, yeah. Yeah. this is what lawyers do in litigation yeah. all the time. Somebody's going to question your yeah. position. Good. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's our part but of as long process. as you have the transparency. The process is better afterwards. Yeah. I would, I would much rather say to clients, you lost fair and square. Yeah. And here's why. And they, they're sad that they lost on the merits and say, you got screwed and yeah. it wasn't fair and square. That's a systemic problem. Which you hear a lot. Which you hear, <laughs> which we shouldn't hear at all, but it yeah. happens. And so it happens at City Hall all the time. You're not going to get to a point where people believe that the process was fair if somebody doesn't start talking about it and insisting on it being fair. And we don't have that at City Hall. That's what I've been doing for the last 20-some years. It's, you know, I don't, I've been an equal opportunity offender of Democrats, Republicans, and and every other party and people who aren't affiliated with the party. What's the UT saying now? So why, you know, know, from a Republican standpoint, the UT is, I can't trust anything they say. I get in in every now and then with with an article or something. She writes a bunch of op-eds. But but from your standpoint, uh, was it just how the UT has treated your candidacy or... Look, okay, first of all, uh, I never expected the UT to give us, uh, to endorse us because yeah. the UT is part of the crowd. Yeah. But there, there's a reason Jerry Braun is the yeah. chief of staff. Yeah. He is very well connected to the media in this town. Uh, that's why he was hired. That's why he remains there. But I don't blame the UT. They They are... They have... They're doing their job. No. No? No. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're doing what you would expect of people who want to maintain relationships yeah. with okay. the folks they think are going somewhere. Yeah. And, and the, uh, 
That's why it's hard to unseat an incumbent. Right. I mean, and, you know, they and look, there. I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't have wanted the endorsement if I were Mara Elliott. Yeah. That's not an endorsement I would have wanted. It's great to say the UOT endorsed her. Did you read the endorsement? <laughs> yeah. Or read the endorsement. Yeah, read it. It was terrible. Yeah. Was it? I mean, it was not great. It, it was, was, it was like, say, I mean, you, you go ahead. Right. <laughs> the, the knock on me is that I might be more of a roller coaster than it was under Mike Aguirre. That, that's just a trope. That's fine. But they went through a number of her failures. And then they said, but we think she got the memo. <laughs> It was not. It that, was, that was it. It was a really bad. I mean. So. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that, and it's, that's their prerogative. That's yeah. what editorial yeah. boards do. And I'm pretty sure they mentioned the whole transparency. That's the right. Issue. They yeah, think yeah, she yeah. got the memo. Yeah. Uh, it turns <laughs> She'll out. She'll do better. Yeah. That she didn't. No. And, and this campaign will be about the fact that. She didn't get the memo. When she gets the memo, she doesn't read the memo. When she reads the memo, <laughs> I she like that. Understand when she she gets the memo, she's not reading it. <laughs> uh, you know, on the streetlight surveillance, right? Yeah. We now know that it was two contracts secretly rolled into one, that uh, somebody knew the cameras were part of it. If you're the lawyer reading the contract, you would see that. Yeah. Uh, her stamp of approval is on it. She blamed Jan Goldsmith for it because it was being worked up under Jan. While it's true it was worked up under Jan, what she leaves out is she was the attorney in charge of the division that reviewed the contract. Right? A guy named Fritz Ortlieb is the staffer who signed off. She was Fritz's supervisor. So she knows exactly what happened. Uh, that's just dishonesty. Oh, when, yeah. when you blame Jan, Jan was out of office when it came up. Uh, if in doubt, on any contract, much less a $30 million one, you say, hey, city council, I just arrived yesterday. Can we do this in a month? Because yeah. it's thirty million dollars. Do you know how many people would have objected to that? Zero, because yeah. they hadn't read it either. Because they were relying on the lawyer yeah. to do the reading. Because that's what lawyers do. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, as he said, he's like, if you go to law school, most of your job is going to be reading stuff. You're, you're reading stuff <laughs> for the rest of your career. Yeah. And so you're the person of last resort. I mean, that's th- that's I mean, correct. You know, if, if the lawyers aren't doing their jobs, the job's not getting done. That's right. It should be. That's right. And so uh, you know when. Community members recently said, hey, it turns out you own stock in GE, didn't say it. You didn't read this contract right in it. It says all the data is being given to GE to do whatever it wants with in perpetuity. You know, her response was, it was the mayor and city council's job to read the contract and ask me questions. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's not a realistic view of the attorney-client relationship. She's expecting someone to give her the cliff notes, pretty much. Well, she right? was expecting somebody else to have read it yeah. so that she could say, yes or no, I agree with the problems you identified. Yeah, yeah. But it's the lawyer's job to say, these are the risks, mm-hmm. these are the benefits, yeah. these are the pitfalls, yeah. these are the promises, but they're not solidified. They're, you know, that this is stuff that's unenforceable, this is stuff that is enforceable. And the memos are wrote. They're, you know, they're, yeah. by, I mean, R-O-T-E, not yeah, any yeah. R-O-T-E. Yeah. Right? They're wrote. You do this all yeah. the time mm-hmm. for a client. There's a standard template that every lawyer uses to apprise the client of, of what they're getting into. And that didn't happen here. No. And, you know, instead of saying, oops, it was my, you know, second day on the job. Yeah. She couldn't really say it because it came up underneath her. But instead of saying, oops. Yeah. She blamed the client. That's, that's, yeah. that, no that in itself is unethical. Oh, in California. Yeah. You're not allowed to blame the client, yeah. right? 
unless they lie to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're not allowed to throw the client under the bus, but that's what she did. So you have that. You have the 101 Ash Street building, you know, $75 million to acquire it. We've pumped in, you know, now I think we're over $100,000, million. It remains vacant. It's full of asbestos. And it wasn't her job to kill that deal, but it was her job before she put her approved stamp on it to point out that on the first page in all capital letters, it said, buyer beware, you might be buying something full of hazardous materials. Gosh, she missed that. She missed that. (laughs) And, And in the section on indemnity, which is the lawyer's word for, I'll pick up your tab. Yeah. In that section, it said, we agree to pick up the tab, not only for any hazardous materials on the site while we occupy the premises, but we will pick up the tab for anything before we came into possession of the premises. That's essentially letting all of the prior owners off, off the, the hook. hook. Yeah. Why would you do that? And, and even if there's a reason, you should have told the client that that's what they were doing, yeah. Yeah. getting into the transaction, because you may have just let people off the hook. Yeah. Let me ask, we're sort of running, running down our time here, but, but so unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, this position is a is a political position. Well, it's a position where you have to campaign. Yep. So uh, looks like you're you know I've I've read the uh, recent uh, reports on fundraising. Looks like you're doing well in fundraising right now. And so so uh, would you want to tell our our listeners how they can contact you with where they can find you? Sure, plug yourself. Sure. Oh, the plug. <laughs> Appreciate that. I guess what I would say is is uh, if you can tell them that. And then maybe just a very quick elevator, elevator speech yeah, as sure. to why. So this is, this is how you know I'm not a politician, yeah. because a professional would have already told your audience a oh, hundred times okay. how to give money and where to donate and stuff <laughs> like that. Sorry. Uh, the website is coreybriggs.com, C-O-R-Y-B-R-I-G-G-S.com. Uh, we lay out all of our positions there, uh, all of our criticisms. Everything you want to know is there. Our, you know, what we're going to do on day one, anti-corruption, quality of life unit, residence advisor committee. You can see it all at the website. Uh, if you want to donate, there's a contribute link at the top. We're not taking money from any city lobbyists or people who are doing business with the city. Uh, the only donations we'll accept are from regular people who just believe that honesty, transparency, and competency is what we need in the city attorney's office, not somebody who's looking to buy favors. Uh, I don't think judges or prosecutors or government lawyers should be taking endorsements from lobbyists, people doing business, other politicians, because those are all folks that I will have to prosecute if they break the law. I will prosecute them if they break the law. And if I don't prosecute them, it's because I didn't think I could make the case, not because they donated to my campaign. So rather than having people wonder, just as you were saying, oh, you know, he didn't prosecute because they gave him a donation. That won't happen because they won't be giving me donations. I don't accept them if you you have to check the box that says you're not in those categories in order to donate. Uh, The elevator pitch is essentially what I just said. It's honesty, transparency, and competency. We want to be honest with the public. There's no reason the public shouldn't know everything that the city is doing unless the law says you can't. You know, I gave an example on the child abuse stuff, mm-hmm. right? Certain things would be confidential. We're not going to air out private employee matters publicly. Yeah. But on all the contracts we're doing, all the policy that the mayor and the city council want to adopt, anything having to do with money, the public should know early and they should know everything. And they should have an opportunity to ask their questions 
and make their case, not just show up when the deal is done at the final hearing to find out what's going on and then get three seconds to weigh in. If we accomplish nothing more than helping the community be better engaged in their government, I consider it a total victory. Uh, transparency, if folks want information, they're going to get the information. If, uh, that's, I'm an open government lawyer. Uh, there are very few reasons not to give people the information they ask for. If you want to know what's happening in your city, we're going to tell you. I don't want to see the city getting sued. If we don't give something, it's because there's a really good reason and a law that backs us up. And the last thing is competency. Uh, there's a reason I don't have friends at City Hall. And the reason is because over the years, I would read the contracts and point out problems, or I would look at what they were proposing to do and recognize the legal weaknesses. And you have special interests who see an opportunity to make money off the taxpayers. And my clients hired me to make sure that didn't happen. Uh, if I weren't good at my job, uh, I'd have friends at City Hall because <laughs> they wouldn't care. The yeah. fact that they're not friends at City Hall is what no, tells it's a you. Good thing. You hold people accountable. Right. And so we, you know, this is about the worst I've seen, you know, under, under Jan, under Mike, under uh, Casey. Even though you were opposing counsel, you could work to recognize the problems and try to get, you know, a certain number of the problems go away. Sometimes you didn't have to sue, sometimes you did, but you always felt like there was some effort to get rid of whatever part of the controversy you could get rid of. Yeah. And, and from my client's perspective, that meant those lawyers helping to take something that was going to be illegal and making it legal. That doesn't exist uh, under Mara's leadership. Between Mara and Jerry Braun, uh, illegal is the name of the game. And whether that's by design or just incompetency, I can't tell you. But either one is uh, unacceptable for the voters and unacceptable for the taxpayers. And San Diegans deserve better. Thank you so much. It's been such well, a pleasure course, having you. you here yeah. and having Thanks you for having tell me. us about your campaign. I feel like I've learned so much yeah. and I feel super informed. And I hope our, our listeners do too going into uh, the elections. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. All, All right. right we'll talk to you guys later. You take care, guys. Bye. <laughs>